And the rest of you, if you want to find your Bibles and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. You know, a lot of people believe that Jesus Christ really does change lives. And when we say that, we talk about, well, it probably changes my life in terms that I get forgiveness. I believe in Christ. Christ has paid the penalty for my sin. That sounds really good, and I'm really glad about that. And that kind of changes things for me. I believe that he's secured a place in heaven. And we think that, you know, God has given us his word, and there's really helpful information about our marriage, helpful information about parenting, some different decisions, certainly our spiritual life. But the one major area that most Christians haven't given a lot of consideration is, is how does relationship with Christ really transform the way that we work? And it's really sad that we've never given a lot of consideration to this because about 40 to 50% of your life is going to be spent working. And yet, most Christians have given very little thought or attention or even study of the word as to how God might actually use their work and how relationship with Christ is going to bring about change. You know, when we've been making our way through the book of 1 Thessalonians, you're going to see that really God intends for you and I to have a life that is a seamless integration of our faith in every aspect of our being. How we relate to people, how we go about our days, what's our priorities, what we do with our money, what we believe about heaven and hell, what we do specifically with our work. So remember when we came to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, God paints a very different picture He actually addresses the issue of work on multiple occasions. And so you look in chapter 4, verse 11, we saw this. And he says, to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your hands just as we commanded you so that you will behave properly toward outsiders and not be in any need. What you see here in the scriptures is that God intends for us to bridge the gap between our Sunday faith and our Monday work. They're actually be directly related. Let me actually have you turn back to Colossians, just turn a couple pages back to Colossians 3, 23 and 24. We're going to use this as to to kind of take another look at the subject of work. Just like as we've been making our way through 1 Thessalonians and we came to the issue of sexual morality, we spent three weeks on that issue because it is such a major issue in our culture. So it is with work, and today we're going to wrap this up, but take one final look at a very practical understanding of theology of work and how it applies. What does it really look like? Look at Colossians 3, 23 and 24. Paul writes, whatever you do, do your work heartily. Whatever you do, whether you're paid for it or not, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, it is the Lord Christ in whom you serve. So do you see that? If there's any two verses that should change about how you and I go about our work, it ought to be these two verses. Why? They tell us that our work is not just for an employer, not just that we're going to make money. We're actually working for the Lord. We serve him. So... How does relationship with Christ really transform the way that we work? Well, let me just give you by way of review what we talked about last week. First of all, relationship with Christ develops our orientation toward our work. Let me give you a simple definition of work. And we saw this last week. Work is 
Effort exerted in some purposeful activity. Work is a person's particular contribution to God's good world and to the common good, whether or not you're paid for it, okay? And work is of great importance to humanity, to people's purpose in the world, and to God's redemptive mission in the world. When we talk about the common good, we talk about how God uses work for the benefit and blessing of everyone in a community or everyone even in the world, whether they're a believer or not. God has a much broader perspective of understanding to work than most Christians have. And so last week we talked about this. We gave you a basic theology of work. First of all, that God has actually created people for work. And we saw this from Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Work isn't the result of some sort of curse. Work is what you and I are created for. In fact, remember he says there was no person to cultivate the ground, so he creates man. And then we find not only the creation of man, but woman. And we see that people are created for work. There is a cultural mandate that is given to cultivate the land, to fill it. But then we see in chapter 3 of Genesis that sin has greatly distorted work. When Adam and Eve bought into sin and they disregarded God, disobeyed him, it plunged all of humanity into havoc. There is a breakdown now between relationship with God and people. There is a breakdown of their relationships with one another. Adam and Eve have a family and it's, man, you just even keep reading your Bible, you'll find out how that worked out. With sin, it's terrible. There is even a breakdown with how work is seen, perceived, and how you will go about it. Work used to be completely fulfilling, and there was no problem to it. Well, now you're going to work, and you're going to actually earn your living by the sweat of your brow. It's going to be challenging and difficult. And then we saw that Jesus fulfilled all righteousness in his work. Jesus, for the first 18 years of his adult life, he was a carpenter. Jesus' public ministry begins about age 30, where he starts functioning like an itinerant rabbi. But prior to that, he is a carpenter. And he fulfills all righteousness, meaning he lived a perfect life, not just in his three years of public ministry, but all the years prior to that. And by virtue of that, that Christ can actually give us his righteousness because he is perfectly righteous. And all who believe in him will actually receive his righteousness. And then... Uh, we also saw that Christians actually glorify God and serve Christ through work. And we're going to talk more about that today. But you and I were created for work, and God fully intends to glorify himself as you and I go about our vocations. And then finally, we looked at the very last page of the Bible. We looked at the beginning, we looked at the place in the middle, and we looked at the very last page of the Bible, which tells us that in the new heavens and the new earth, in eternity, in the future, do you know what we're going to be doing? will be working. We are his bondservants, and we will be serving him. There will be heavenly responsibilities that I believe will be doled out based upon your earthly um, activity and how you actually handled yourself. All of that is just a review, because this is to give you an orientation to your work, because that's what relationship with Christ develops, a new orientation to work. What I just presented to you, most people never think about it that way. And yet... That is what the Bible presents about work. Let me give you something else. Relationship with Christ also develops our direction going into work. If you and I are created for work, it would make sense that God would intend for us to take our work seriously, to actually think about what we do. And you might be asking, well, how do you actually discover the kind of work that you are 
to do? This is a major question. In fact, I'd like to give you six questions that will actually help you answer that. Whether you're a student and you're looking at your career or you are in a job and you're like, do I stay here? I'm, I don't know. Um, maybe you're a parent uh, helping advise one of your kids. But let me give you six questions that will help you uh, have discernment in terms of vocational calling. One, ask this. What are the gifts and abilities that you have been given? What are the gifts and abilities you have been given? So you look at abilities like intelligence, dexterity, physical strength, uh, the ability to be creative. Are you a problem solver? Are you a truth teller? Uh, do you have good communication skills? And you try to form some sort of assessment of what are the actual abilities that you have. Now, you can also take interest assessments. You can find them online. Uh, MCC offers this. Uh, if you went to university, most of your colleges will provide some sort of interest assessments. It'll just kind of help you understand your abilities. Then you also want to look at your personality. What kind of personality has God given you? If you are an extrovert or an introvert, that might actually come into play with what sort of vocation you should be involved in. So, for instance, if you're not sure, if your idea of refreshment and this would really recharge you is to go to a party and just hang out and talk with a bunch of people and stay up till about 1.30 just having one conversation after another and you come home wired and refreshed, you are likely an extrovert. On the other hand, uh, if your idea of refreshment and uh, recovery is to lock yourself in a room, maybe with a few favorite books, a blanket, a nice TV show or something, and a sign, do not touch me or talk to me, you're likely an introvert, right? Well, that could come into play in the kind of vocation that you have. Let me tell you also, when you're looking at uh, what kind of gifts and abilities you have, what kind of spiritual gifts has God given you? You know, when you and I place our faith in Christ, he literally, through his spirit, equips us with particular gifts that are meant for the serving and the building up of the body of Christ. But these same spiritual enablements also can come into play in our ministry, which we would call our work. And you see this, you know, some people that have like the spiritual gift of mercy, they might find themselves in fields like nursing. If you have like the gift of teaching, the ability to communicate, to take complex ideas and actually make them understandable to others. And you, you see that these are people that go into like the academy and they're teaching and they're school teachers. Uh, you've got uh, strength, wisdom, you're not afraid of challenges. Uh, you might find yourself gifted as a leader in, in business or commerce or in the police or the military. And so what you want to do is try to figure out. There are some classes that you find you can take to see, like, do I have an aptitude for this? You can actually involve yourself in different experiences just to see. But you want to ask yourself, what are the gifts and, and abilities that you have been given? Second question to ask, what are the desires for the future that you have as you pray? As you pray, and remember we began this year asking the Lord, and I challenge you each day, ask the Lord to direct your way. And so you ask God, would you direct my way? What are some of the desires he gives for your future? What kind of heart motivations does he place in there? God oftentimes does this, that the kind of work that you should do is oftentimes uh, indicated by the kind of work that you desire to do, that he gives you a desire. Not always. But there is a, a real desire, a real interest, maybe even call it a passion. That could be very helpful for you figuring out where you should be investing in work. Let me give you the third question. What experiences and education have you received? 
So what are the different life experiences that you've had in this ever-growing reservoir of experiences that you've had with people, situations, and what kind of education has God given you? Did you graduate from high school? Have you got some college education? Do you have advanced degrees? Well, let's remember God's sovereign in all of this, and he very well may plan to use these experiences and this education in what you do in vocation. Um, let me give you a fourth question. What circumstances are you in? So when you look at like our economic circumstances, are there a lot of jobs available or not so many? What are your personal financial situation? Are you, do you have a lot of money? Have you saved money or you've got a lot of debt due to some medical problem? Uh, hopefully it's not consumer debt. And if you've got it, you want to get out of it quick. Um, maybe you've got school loans, whatever. And maybe you're living paycheck to paycheck. Maybe you're not even sure how you're getting through this week. Well, that will change things. You need to get a job soon, right? So you look at your circumstances that you're in. Let me give you a fifth question. What doors are being opened by God? What opportunities is God making available to you? As you pray and ask God, Lord, I want you to direct my path. I'm fully yours. And God opens doors, sometimes in surprising ways. Maybe you weren't even expecting. But if you've got a desire, it seems to be a pretty good match with what you can do. If there's an open door, you should walk through it. God has a way of actually shutting the door if you're not supposed to go through it. In fact, it may even feel like the door got slammed on you. But he does have a way of directing our path as we ask him. But if there is an open door and it's a good fit, and yeah, it's going to be faith stretching. But hey, guess what? You got God. You should try walking through it. And let me give you a sixth question. What advice are you receiving from wise counselors? People that have wisdom, studied this. Uh, people that know you well. What advice are they passing on to you? Here's just another reason why a mentor could be so very helpful. You know, if you think about it, if you've got legal problems, what do you end up doing? You go to a, talk to a lawyer. If you've got financial problems, you go talk to someone who's good at finances. If you have a medical problem, and despite how wise you are in your self-diagnosing, when it gets bad, you end up going to talk to someone who actually does know, right? That's how it's supposed to work. What's growing on my arm? Not sure. You should go talk to a doctor. Why is it when it comes to the issue of vocation, we don't actually ever consult anybody? Proverbs 12:15 says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. Friends, you want to be wise. If I were you, I'd investigate this thoroughly. Ideally, what you want to do is you want to find the vocational fit that hits your sweet spot. You know what a sweet spot is, like on a bat or like on a tennis racket? The sweet spot is the center of the racket where when the ball hits it, it that's where you get maximum recoil, okay? So when, you, when the center of that racket hits that ball, man, that ball just goes sailing. On the other hand, if you hit it with like the top of your racket or the base of it, I know this from firsthand experience, it doesn't work so well. It just kind of like hits the ground and then goes right into the net. What you really want to do is when you're playing tennis, in case you're going to do that this spring, you want to find the sweet spot. That's where you get maximum recoil. The same is true of vocation. Where is the best fit? Now, I will tell you that um, ideally, you want to find your economic engine tied to your vocational sweet spot. Meaning, you not only are good at a particular activity, and it is a job, and it provides for you, but that you enjoy it. It's just like a great fit. And you know what? Some of you are going to be blessed with a situation like that. But it's not always the case. 
your uh, vocational sweet spot may or may not be tied to your economic engine. But you want to figure this out. And you want to realize that, that God intends to work through you while you work. And that means you see your job totally different. There's a pastor in Leewood, Kansas, by the name of Tom Nelson. Uh, he's done some great work on this uh, subject. He, in fact, wrote a book called Work Matters, which I'd highly recommend. And when he was covering this with his church, uh, he received a particular email from a stay-at-home mom in their congregation. And it really was kind of quite revealing how, how understanding a biblical theology of work really can bring about changes. How you can actually see your work as worship. Listen to what she wrote. A stay-at-home mom doesn't get a lot of accolades or affirmation. No paycheck. No glowing review from their boss. I have been working through these thoughts and feelings, and several weeks ago, I decided I wasn't going to spend any more time feeling like a victim. I have had a new outlook on life over these past few weeks, and I feel so much better. I have never thought of being a, a mother as an act of worship. I can look at it in a whole new way now. I can see the contributions I made to my household as what I was uniquely created to do for this season of life. Friends, that's what a relationship with Christ does. It, it changes our direction going into work. Let me tell you something else it does. It changes and develops our sanctification. And God does so through our work. You see, our motivation to go to work is more than to make money. And that's, that's a great thing. And I hope you make a lot of money and that you're a good steward of it. But it's more than just making money. It's more than just to furthering God's kingdom by giving a portion of the finances that you earn. And it's actually going to work is even more than just sharing the gospel. Friends, you need to understand that God intends for your job to be one of the major ways he's going to shape you to become like Christ. John Stott, in his book, The Radical Disciple, asked this important question. What is God's purpose for his people? And he answers, it is this. God wants his people to become like Christ. For Christ's likeness is the will of God for the people of God. Your work won't always make you happy. But God intends for your work to make you holy. Did you know that? Through the challenges of your workplace. You see, we're so oftentimes seeing our work as an obstacle to our life, when in actuality, it's an opportunity. Chuck Swindoll writes this, quote, something bothers me when people discuss the subject of Christians and their work. You see, I frequently hear about Christians who are poor workers. Some employers have even told me that they prefer not to hire Christians. That's quite an indictment. As I probe for reasons, I hear the following, and he lists four major problems that apparently Christians have when it comes to the workplace. One, attitude. Christian employees, Christian employees are negative, critical, presumptuous, and resistant to change, and they tend to take advantage of Christian bosses. That's what he's finding. Which is really interesting because 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 2, tells us explicitly that if you have a Christian boss, you're to serve them all the more. Something else that he's found when he's trying to figure out why are these employers down on Christian employees. Second one, he said, is competence. 
one employer said this, the last few I've hired, speaking of I've hired these Christians, they were incompetent. They couldn't do the job. You honestly think you're bringing great glory to God if you haven't put the hard work and the discipline in to become excellent at what you do, whatever it might be. If if you're not, incompetence has a way of showing up. It doesn't bode well for the glory of God. Let me give you a third that he finds. Focus. These Christian employers, these employers find this about Christians. They're preoccupied with other things, including witnessing and church activities and relationships unrelated to the workplace. Most Christian employ, most employers don't mind if you're a Christian. But they do mind if you're like kind of treating your job as totally secondary, having the attitude like it all burns and it doesn't matter anyway, just make sure I get paid, and you don't do your job well and you are losing focus. Actually, friends, if you've been tracking with us for the last few weeks, the theology of work tells you you ought to give God your very best. After all, you're serving him, right? And then the fourth thing that Swindoll finds in talking with these employers that just are not too keen on Christians, they find that a lot of these Christians suffer from character problems. Here's one employer said this. The last one I hired, speaking of a Christian, he just was plain dishonest. Hopefully... These represent only a small minority of workers who profess Christ. Friends, what I'm telling you shouldn't be. Do you know why? If you are really a Christian, you are truly a new creature in Christ. You're a new person. You have a new set of priorities. You've got a new presence. You've got a new power. You've got Christ dwelling within you. God intends to manifest himself through you and especially through your work. You see, work isn't an obstacle to your spiritual growth. Actually, it's a conduit for it. Your actions, how you go about your job, that speaks a lot about what you really believe, right? And yet, uh, we find this. There's a reason, and our beloved Brian Davis reminded this uh, last week. This country song, 1977, number one. Johnny Paycheck, take this job and shove it. It's not even a really good song. But do you know why it's still popular and they still, one radio station plays it every Friday? You know why they do it? Because that's what most people think about their job, right? It's just kind of the attitude. They want to get paid, but in actuality, they really don't like their job. Sound familiar? I would have to say that you're going to find challenges in your job. I've never had any position where I was like, man, this is just great. I just, there's no problems. Everything is just, just works just the way it should. I've heard people say, you know, I'd really like my job if it wasn't for the people. Oh, man, these are the people. You know, that's really bad if, like, you're in sales, right? I don't like my boss. I don't like my employees. I don't like the people I'm working with. I don't like the people that I have to interface with. And I just hate my job. If I didn't have the people, I think it'd be okay, right? Friends, you need to understand something about your job. You're going to find difficulties and disappointments and discouragements. It is going to be hard. And, like... You're going to find that customers will come and, and they'll just take it out on you. Like, am I wearing a sign that says, kick me? What, what's going on here? You know what I'm talking about? Where does that come from? And it has a way of just like, I hate my job. You want to be really careful that the seeds of bitterness don't spring up and by it be, many be defiled. That you don't cultivate this bitterness toward your job and your employer or your fellow employees. You understand, friends, that your job... At times, it's going to make you sweat. At times, it's going to be difficult. 
Eugene Peterson did a paraphrase of the, the New Testament, and, uh, and it is a paraphrase, but he has sometimes some interesting uh, colloquial phrases and vernacular that he uses when he paraphrases some of the verses in the Bible. In his book, The, the Message, uh, James chapter 1, verses 2 and 4, that 2 through 4, that great section on trials. Listen to how he kind of loosely translated it. Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. Does that sound like your workplace? He continues, you know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you become mature and well-developed and not deficient in any way. See, we're, we go about work, and this is pretty much how it's presented, to find personal fulfillment. It's all about personal fulfillment. Nothing wrong with being personally fulfilled through your work, and I hope you have that experience. But far more important than personal fulfillment, when you look at the scriptures, God is bringing about spiritual formation. He's shaping you, causing you to grow and develop. And so you don't want the termites of discouragement to eat you up. Every job has the good, the bad, and the ugly. If you've got the perfect job, I'd like to talk with you, right? Because every job has its challenges. But you know what? God is using this, and he's developing us, and he's maturing us. And what he wants us ultimately to do is learn how to find our contentment in Christ and not our circumstances. And I use the word learn because that's the word that Paul uses. You might want to write this verse down. Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. Paul says this, Not that I speak from want, but I have learned to be content in every circumstances, every circumstance that I'm in. Learn. It's not innate. You, it's something that you have to learn how to go to God to find your contentment in Christ and not in your circumstances. It's very much related to the vision of our church. Remember our little maturity tree? Our vision is four words, super simple. Once you have placed your faith in Christ, Christ is in you. And the four words are growing deep and reaching out. Just like a tree sinks deep roots, and the effect of you drawing nutrients from knowing God and his word is that you branch out and you develop character. And it shows up in your relationships. It shows up in your ministry. It shows up in your career. You know, when a tree goes through stress because like it's in drought, you know what it does? It automatically sinks deeper roots because I have got to find better grounding. I need water. I need nutrients. Friends, that's what's intended in our life. Work has a way of producing this. I need deeper roots. I need strength. And God will provide. And so... I want to tell you there's a few situations I feel like I need to pass this on to you that you want to avoid. Remember, God is using work for our sanctification. Let me give you a few things to guard against. One, you want to be real careful how you're interfacing with people of the opposite sex. You want to be careful about the things that you talk about. I do not want any of you going down in flames. We spent three weeks talking about sexual morality from God's perspective and why it's important. But a major place where this occurs is in the workplace because Christians aren't thinking clearly. So be careful. Let me give you another thing to be on guard of. Be on guard of cynicism. There's just something about jobs that seem to be like a magnet for people to be just like tearing up their bosses and fellow employees and, and you become highly cynical, critical, and, and we feel like it's okay to do that. 
it's not okay. Remember, your behavior, your attitude, and your words reflect who you're following and what you believe. And then one other thing, be real careful about language. If you're a Christian, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Right? Ephesians chapter 4, I think it's verse 29. And the jokes that are going around, either the ones you're telling or the ones that you're listening in on, make sure that are appropriate. That whole double entendre stuff, that's not for you. I want you to be as relational as possible, right? But you don't want to buy in to some of the things that you've been saved from. I tell you this because God intends to use your job, your work, whether you're paid for it or not, to shape you, to sanctify you. And finally, God has a great mission in our work. Christ is developing us through our work, and he's actually fulfilling his mission as we go about our jobs. One of the things that takes place in our jobs is that God is building bridges for the gospel. In the early church, the number one way Jesus Christ and the gospel was made manifest was through how people went about their jobs. And a lot of them were slaves. Anybody enslaved here? Okay, good. So you're a lot better off than they were. And yet that's how the gospel went forth, how they did their jobs, despite the fact that they were in very difficult circumstances. And God intends for work to have the exact same effect. How you and I go about our jobs is how we build bridges for the gospel. We build relationships. You want to do your job well. You want to be winsome. You want to do your job with excellence, and you want to do it for the glory of God. Whether you're a police officer or a trash collector or you're an executive or you're running something at Baylor, you want to do your job well. You see, everybody, when they arrive at the workplace, they can tell, like, if you put on some perfume, if you're a lady, or, like, some aftershave or even cologne if you're a guy. You know how that works, right? If you're using aqua velva, guys, right, and you come on in because it worked for your dad, so you think it's going to work for you, you smell it initially when you put it on. But when you walk in, guess what? Everybody else kind of smells that, too, because there's kind of like an aura about you. That's what you're wearing. Now, if you're going the all-natural, right, you're not wearing deodorant. You never put any aftershave or stuff on. I got news for you. People can tell that as well. That's just a little FYI for you junior high boys and above. That just You might want to consider that, okay? Because, ah, you're here. You're, it's either pleasant or yeah, not so pleasant. I tell you that because we're to clothe ourselves with the character of Christ. There's something about our life because of life in Jesus that is meant to be beautiful, attractive. I remember reading about Alexander the Great. Uh, he had a particular soldier that he saw was disheveled, unshaven, and just reeked of alcohol. He'd been drinking all night. And he's, Alexander the Great approached this soldier and said, What is your name? And the soldier said, Well, sir, my name's Alexander, <laughs> which just happened to be Alexander the Great's name. And Alexander said this, Sir, you either change your name or change your behavior. If you're going to have my name, there's a certain standard of behavior that goes with that. Friends, if we're calling ourselves Christians, we're following Jesus, there's to be a lifestyle that's reflected by that name, especially in our jobs. Um, Chuck Swindoll writes that the best platform to build a case for Christianity is for our work to have these, what he calls these seven massive pillars. Showing up to work with this, integrity, faithfulness, punctuality, competence, attitude, the right attitude, diligence, and enthusiasm. 
Hire a person committed to these, and before long, business will improve, people will be impressed, and listen to this, and Christianity will begin to seem important. You got believers functioning like this, all of a sudden, Christianity is on the table now. You got something to offer. This is different. This is life the way it was meant to be lived. When you're in your job as a Christian, avoid the us versus them, like, oh, we're the Christians and they're not, you know, and you treat them like second class. That, that's not going to go well. You're not going to build bridges for the gospel. You're blowing them up. Uh, pray for your employer or your employees instead of griping about them. And, you know, there'll be opportunities in appropriate times, and I believe you're smart enough to figure out when they are, appropriate times, where you could actually pray with the people, even if they're not Christians. I have actually never been turned down when I've said, hey, can I just pray for you? Oftentimes you're going to find that when people go through major life stress, relationship breakdown, health issues, even if they were ripping on you two weeks ago because you're a Christian, when they got real life issues, they come find the Christian because they need help and they need hope. Pray with them. I've all, I, one guy, only one guy has ever told me he's been turned down. He tried to play, pray for his boss uh, when his boss's life was all coming undone. So I tell you this because we want to be building bridges for the gospel. We had a mission work, not only building bridges for the gospel, we're actually building into people. We are making disciples. When we understand work from God's perspective, we want to help people grow spiritually, and that includes how they go about their jobs. I mean, you got something to offer, whatever their vocation might be, whether they're paid for it or not. If you're retired, if you had a career, you are in a prime position to invest in the next generation. You've got lessons to learn, you've learned that you need to pass on. And so we make disciples. We understand that we want to help people move from success to significance, beyond just a personal success, so you're good at what you do, to actually helping others achieve their goals and what God has in front of them. You also find that relationship with Christ in our mission and work actually helps us to build lives in our community. You see, God has a broad perspective of work. Everything we do helps a community flourish. Whether you're writing a software program to get a flight from Denver to New York, or you're actually involved in security and protecting and, and helping with the peace of a society, or you're examining a patient, all of this works for the greater good of society. It's one of the ways we love our neighbor is to do our job well. Whatever you're doing, whether you're a homemaker or you're working in a hardware store. And then really, it also changes how we see missions. Missions must be absolutely about the showing of the gospel, of how we need Jesus Christ and how he has provided salvation for all who believe in him. But when you really understand the theology of work, we want to help people do well in every respect, right? That includes their occupation. It's all part of the Christian mission. And then let me just finally also tell you this. Our mission in our work is to build up the glory of Christ. Now, I don't know about your job situation, but when you look at like people in the Bible, like Joseph and Boaz and Daniel and Esther and Nehemiah, many of them served God in vocations and in situations that were far from ideal, difficult. They were in completely ungodly governments, but they served well. I think you're going to be blown away when you see how God can use you where you're at. You know, there might be a few of you that maybe, maybe you do need to change your job. But I would say for probably for most of us, 
Uh, we don't need to probably change our job so much as we need to ask God to change our heart and our attitude toward work and toward where we're working. Can I just pass this on to you? What you really want to do is you want to bloom where you're planted. Maybe you think that your life is kind of like that picture, like you are a flower in an old beaten up down parking lot, right? It's all concrete and it's ugly and no one's thinking about it. That flower is beautiful. It is flourishing. And friends, that's what God intends for our life. Right where God has you. In your job. In your home. Does your work during the week, does it really matter to God? Absolutely. And I'll give you two questions that I find to be very helpful. Maturity in Christ matters. Ask yourself these two questions. One, Lord, what does maturity in Christ look like in this situation or this relationship? What does maturity in Christ look like in this job? And then the second question, God, would you give me the grace, desire, and strength to do this? I see it. That's what maturity in Christ would look like. God, would you do it for your glory? You see, friends, when we keep Christ at the center of our work, our work becomes worship. Let's pray.